You are listening to the CBA Podcast. Talk everything basketball. From club, to high school, to AAU, to college. The CBA Podcast is brought to you by Chapman Basketball Academy. Your hosts are Terry Massey, Max Johansson, and Joe Chapman. And Max today is kind of battling a little bug. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of good games this weekend uh, and this week. Uh, Friday, um, Saturday, there was a little bit of, or Friday, there was a little upset, or not really an upset in your mind. But. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's so, this time of year is so special to me because we got so many kids that play and it's so many different strategies. And as a coach, you're, you're trying to figure out what the other coaches are thinking and doing. And as a player, it's the 24 class. It's their last class. It's their last go-around for, you know, championship game, Nicolay and Homestead. That was a battle. You know, um, Homestead had their chances. I think they were up five with, like, four minutes to go. Um, they had chances to win that game. Um, and then it, and the girls' game, you know, the regional games. Um, it's just been special to watch the different strategies. I really tell you, though, this state needs a shot clock. It's just <laughs> unbelievable how some of these games, you know, they hold the ball for so long. Well, the first you know. half of a score is 11 to 9 or something. It's like, <laughs> right. what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's what, for me, when I'm watching this, is like, man, that you can't really strategize against what's going on because these teams are holding the ball and they stalling or they playing. They're not playing free-flowingly, you know. And then there's times when you're up five with, you know, whatever minutes left, and you're like, okay, now it's time to run just run this thing through because there isn't a shot clock. So it's like, it's, you know, you got to strategize for what's going on with the certain rules of whatever state that you're in, you know. And unfortunately, it works for um, players and coaches. Sometimes it works against them. Um, and for games right now, I see teams that are 12 seed going against a 3 seed. Well, they trying to slow the game down. They trying to just move the ball, work their system. And a number two or three seed, they trying to press up, like, like, let's get this game started. So it's a battle of wheels, a battle of adjustments, X and O's. Um, so as a coach, I'm always looking at that stuff. Who's going to make the, the, the adjustment? Because this time of year, you can't die on your sword. It's just so many coaches that say, I just got one way. Um, of doing things. If I had to pick a girls game coming up, probably one of the programs that have more CBA girls than any is Grafton, yep. uh, matching up against Pewaukee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cedarburg just kind of, well, Cedarburg was out there, two top players. I yep. mean, Mary and Mimi were out and stuff, and they battled pretty good the first half, yep. um, second half, but those twins are lights out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love those twins. They play the right way from Pewaukee. Um, 
they're actually referees too. So they, they invest back into the game. Um, they, they are who you want your daughters to be. They play hard. They both go into Michigan State as twins, which is great. Um, great role models in their community. Um, so they do a good job. So I'm looking forward to watching that game. Uh, before I get going, I just want to give a shout-out personally. Um, we have our first coach change of the year. Um, Dave Ross over at Cedarburg announced his retirement. Um, winning record, went to state twice, has a silver ball. Uh, great coach. Uh, appreciate everything he's done for the program over at Cedarburg. So, yeah, he 23 years. Yeah, 23 years. Uh, and it's, to hold any job for 23 years and to change with the times, that's two decades. So to keep changing with the times and keep – adjusting to the different people keep walking through your doors every year um, that's hard for a high school coach because you get so many new people you know your culture kind of starts with the youth and you know build it up so he did 23 years of that so hopefully the community respects that even if you didn't like his whatever play calls or whatnot I mean you got to respect someone who gives 23 years mm-hmm. of their time with I mean making three thousand dollars probably a year mm-hmm. of, you know doing doing that and um, so regardless of if we like what he did or not, um, respect, you know, that he gave 23 years to the program. So we're very blessed and excited to have the guests we have today. I kind of wrote some stuff down, so I'll see Uh-oh. if I, I, get this, <laughs> I get this right of some accomplishment, all right? Uh, played forward at Princeton, drafted by the 76ers, uh, assistant coach at Northwestern, head coach at Brown University, Oregon State, Worked as uh, VP Player Development for the Bucks and the Knicks. Is currently Executive Director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Craig Robinson. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> I know we're blessed to have someone with your knowledge and expertise here, and I know Joe is really honored to have you part of the CBA family. So, yeah, no, I'm. I'm uh, thank, thank you. Thanks for having me first and foremost, and uh, you know. And and I have to say thanks to Joe for welcoming our family into the CBA family since we moved here. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, we were we I, I think in, and you would know the history more than I do, but mm-hmm. we we might have been one of your first boys yes. teams. Yes, yes, the second year of the boys flow. Yeah. Was, was Austin's group. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and now those guys are in eighth grade, <laughs> right? And they're playing well in in the. WYBL tournament and getting yep. and they're 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 looking forward to to fighting it out at at Homestead. So yep. it's it's really been exciting. Yeah, it's just so so amazing to um, see the growth of our players every year. The personnel they walk through the doors. I think Austin was maybe seven or eight, and Aaron was maybe four or five, mm-hmm. and they came right in the gym. That's how I met them first. This through workouts. I, I think Wojo. Um, maybe told um, Mrs. Robinson about yep. the rope workouts that we were doing. That's right. That's uh, right. Well, Joe told Kelly about Joe because we didn't know Joe. Yep. Um, I knew of Joe by name only because I followed mm-hmm. college basketball. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that you're from Chicago mm-hmm. and we had never met. Chicago such a big place. But I moved away after I, I, I went to college and mm-hmm. didn't come back for a while. So uh, it was nice to, to, to hook up with somebody who yep. – was sort of familiar with, you know, same background, same, yep. to use your word, culture. I got my Chapman culture <laughs> shirt on today, <laughs> ironically. Um, but it was, it, was, it was easy. And our kids were used to being in the gym. Right. 
but um, I wanted somebody who wasn't afraid to coach them the way they should be coached, not the way people are getting coached today. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of a nuanced statement, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, but before we get to that, I want to go back to a point you guys were talking about, the shot clock. I am a <laughs> big proponent. The shot clock should be in every state. Yes. And I, I don't understand why Wisconsin doesn't have it, because if Illinois can have it, and they have way more yeah. – Schools and teams and teams. Wisconsin should have it, and I've heard the well. It's a, a an extra expense in the budget. Yada yada yada. You, I am sure that I'm busy, but I could find somebody who would sponsor <laughs> right. at least the hardware into the school. Well, all these big scoreboards, Acuity, you know, all the, all, yeah, all, the, all these school. Sco- somebody would do it yeah. just yes. just to um, get their name out there yet again. But it's 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 important from a playing standpoint. We're not preparing these no, kids for the next level. No, no, I totally agree, and I think that's the problem. Even uh, Minnesota has the shot clock, so we're in an in between state, and we don't have it, and it's just it's hurting our development. It should be in the youth programs. It should be in the high school programs. Now AAU is starting to do it, so that's helping our kids. But then they come back and they don't have it. You know, so um, it, it just happened in different circumstances. I, I see different teams. They're up 10, 15 points. They just continue to play the right way. Yeah. And it kind of – and it hurts them sometimes because they're up with a lead and they continue to play and they mm-hmm. miss shots. The other team come down. So it's, it's not real basketball. Right. Should you there know? be a national uniformity on, on play? Well, I mean, each state has their own organization and their it, own rules. Should there be more of a national? It, it, it would be nice, but because of the way, and in my role now as as head of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, I see it because a good deal of our members are high school coaches, mm-hmm. and trying to get something through on the high school level, you have to deal with each individual state regulatory body, Ooh. which is a heavy lift. So I understand it. And each school has their own budget. And, and each school has their own budget. Each school district has their own budget. And, and, you know, people are fighting for different things. And the last thing they're thinking about is sports, let alone shot clocks. So <laughs> right. it makes it hard. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, it would be nice if everybody sort of came to the, the, the head of the WIAA. Is that who's in charge yep. of Wisconsin WIAA? If if they could just say, hey, listen, for, for the benefit of our players, we want to continue. Because let me tell you, there's more players coming out of Wisconsin than I yes. ever thought being yep. from Chicago, yep. where we yep. always have players coming out of. Yep. You you don't want that to, to take a step take back, a step back right. especially on the women's side. The, yes. the girls are <laughs> making a move. You yep. don't want to end that because yep. they get to college and they can't compete. Right. With the rest of the folks who right. are coming. So, yep. No, I, just I, wanted, I, I wanted to mention that. I know we, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Yeah, so. yeah. No, that's a good topic to start with, though, is this how do we prepare? Because we all have kids and we also are running a business of preparing people for the next level. And we're not doing our jobs properly if we're not um, preparing them for different things. Situational situationals is so important to basketball that the naked eye of a fan don't understand as if it's 40 38 that's a situational um with two seconds left on the clock you got to learn how to play like that and unfortunately a lot of these kids are not being prepared to play like that because it's not a lot of situational stuff that's happening you know 
um, inside of the game. So mm-hmm. that's a great first topic to kind of go with. Um, I want to talk about your, how you grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Um, you played, and you played at a great high school. Yeah. Uh, we want to talk about your high school. Um, talk about your love and passion for the game and how that started. So I started out like most kids in my neighborhood, and I grew up in Woodlawn and South Shore, so I'm a South mm-hmm. Sider. But I have a West Side story to my game. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I started like most players. I played all the sports, and yep. I just played whatever was in season, and and that includes hockey, mm-hmm. right? So I played basketball during the summer. I played football during the fall. I played baseball in the spring, and I played funny enough hockey in the winter Mm -hmm. because back when i was younger they froze the parks near your house and everybody went ice skating and you played hockey (laughs) so i played all these different sports and i didn't narrow it down to basketball purposefully it just sort of came along and there were there were not a lot of the youth basketball organizations but there was one big one biddy basketball mm-hmm. yeah. so that was for for those of you don't know bitty basketball you played on eight foot rims yep. with a smaller small ball. ball not even a 27 it's it, like a 20 it was a it was a it was it was a youth ball yeah, what, what yep. they call youth ball now so yep. it was perfectly in um it it, it 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 was suited for your hand as a little kid so you didn't mm-hmm. have to push your shot like mm-hmm. all these kids are doing now yep. at a tip for goal yep and so i learned the mechanics a little bit better because I was playing with a ball that was in proportion with my size. Mm-hmm. But you could only be 5'6 and play that. <laughs> and I was 5'6 I was in 7th grade, so 7th grade was my last year playing. But you could play through 8th grade mm-hmm. if you were, weren't 5'6, mm-hmm. if you were 5'6 or under. And um, so I, I initially started playing on, at, the, at the Chatham YMCA with Bob Hambrick was my coach who ended up being the great coach at Simeon. Uh, uh, Joe knows the (laughs) school. Simeon was a huge basketball factory. And I thought I was going to go to Simeon. And my parents were like, "Uh uh-uh, because Simeon's a vocational school. Correct. Vocational schools were not what my parents were aiming at. They were aiming (laughs) at college preparatory schools. (laughs) So I took the exam to go to Mount Carmel. I ended up going to Mount Carmel High School, which was great school, too. Great school, not in my neighborhood, but yep. close enough where I could go. Catholic yep. school, so you had to pay tuition. Mm-hmm. And so we were invested in, my parents were invested in my education more so than athletics. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the day where, you know, nobody knew if they were going to be a pro until you got drafted, right? right. There, were, right. there were no scouting services. What, what year was that, Coach? So I graduated from grammar school in 75. Okay. And I went from 75 to 79. I graduated Mount Carmel in 79. Okay. And um, tried out for the basketball team, wasn't recruited. They had a bunch of recruited players, and I ended up making the freshman team. And I was just one of those kids who liked playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And my dad, when I was back now, let me step back. When I was playing bitty basketball, Coach Hambrick wasn't going to coach bitty anymore. So the coach of the Martin Luther King Boys Club, mm-hmm. which was a bitty basketball rival of ours at Chatham, mm-hmm. asked me to play for him. Now, that was on the west side of the city. And <laughs> if you know Chicago... Southsiders were afraid to go to the West Side. <laughs> and vice versa. And West Siders were afraid to come to the South Side. So my dad would take me over there and wait for me while I practiced and then bring me back home. Yep. <laughs> and it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because, number one, I was exposed to a completely different 
culture of basketball. They were more <laughs> up and down, handsy, up and up down, and out, free physical. <laughs> yeah. It was a rougher game. And I was a South Side kid who was used to a more gentlemanly game. Mm-hmm. And so that was, from a basketball standpoint, it was great. But it was also culturally getting to know some kids who were not from my neighborhood and not being afraid of the West Side. Correct. And that made me confident. And mm-hmm. as you know, Joe, basketball is a confidence yes, game. It is. If you have confidence in yourself and your ability to get better, you're going to get yes. better. Yep. So that helped me. My, that helped my basketball development. So when I got to Mount Carmel, people didn't know about me, but I was I was good enough to make the team, not varsity, mm-hmm. but I was good enough to make the freshman team, and then it just worked my way up from there. Dude, what do you think about this era of kids want to go right to varsity as opposed to <laughs> like my era? Even 20 years, I'm, I'm 22 years um, from my last high school. Yeah, we we worked our way up. You know, I think it's just like everything else that happens in this day and age that people want it sooner. They yep. want it faster than yep. than everybody else, right? They want right. to get to the front of the line. They don't want to know right. where the line is. They want to know where the front of the line is. Whereas we grew up, we were like, okay, this is the line. You wait in the line, and then you'll get your turn. Right, right. And I think there's two things. There's one thing I, for sure that I think is that playing varsity, you, you don't want to be – the number one 14 year old. <laughs> right. Right. You want to be the number one 21 year old. Correct. Because that's Correct. when it matters. Correct. Yep. That's yep. when it may be 18. That's yep. when it really matters. Mm-hmm. And nowadays it's getting to be younger just because everybody's trying yeah. to accelerate it. But, you know, most people don't develop like that. Right. Okay. Yep. The, the second thing is, is that once, now that I've worked, at um, I've worked in high school, college, now the NBA, and now I'm looking at it sort of from a global standpoint. The best way to develop at this game is by playing, mm-hmm. not by individual workout, yep. not by practicing. It's by playing. Yep. So if you rush to play varsity and you're only playing eight minutes a game, mm-hmm you're slowing your development. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the freshman team or on the JV team and you're playing the whole game and the coach is only taking you out to give you a blow and you're going right back in, yep. your game is developing faster than Correct. the kid who's playing varsity and, Correct. And, and not playing as many minutes. So that's where I stand on it. Yep. And, I and, and I tell my kids that. And I have them brainwashed so that they think they want to be on the court. Yep. So if my eighth grader is... If Austin is good enough to play varsity and get some time, go ahead. Right. But he knows he better shoot for freshman or JV, so he's playing all the time so that when he gets to be a sophomore or junior, he'll be able to play play and stay. See, that mentality from a guy with your expertise, (laughs) your background, we we talked about this in other podcasts where parents think their kids are more than what they are. Um, We talked about, you know, High-profile player uh, parents coaching their kids. I gave Steve Novak as an example. Right, you know, Max just another player on the floor when we watch him coach. Yeah, you know, there's no peripheral treatment, and you know the way you develop your son as a parent first. Right? Yeah, well, Steve and I have gotten to be friends from mm-hmm. from my time with the Bucks now, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we we have similar thoughts on that because it's so hard to be a pro and everybody is aiming their kid at pro you should be aiming your kid 
for the next grade he's going to be in. How am I going to make that team? Or maybe make the next level up. Right. You know, but not you can't be thinking about the NBA. And let me tell you something. Now that I am in this, I'm right on the, you know, working at the NABC, the Coaches Association. I'm at the forefront of what's going on in college basketball. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you what I see with this whole, the way the game is going. High school players are going to be less and less recruited as we move forward because the way it's set up now, and I was a college coach, I would take a ready-made college player as a transfer before I would take a unknown quantity. And that's all coaches because their jobs are dependent on who they recruit. So now you just need to be the best player you can be because – who knows what that's going to mean for your college career experience? Yep. Yeah, experiences. That's an even better word. Yeah, that's an even better word because you don't know, and that that's what we're trying to prepare our kids for now. Is we we you don't know where you're going to end up. We got D two kids that are D one kids mm-hmm. um, that in this generation, I, I believe that you should go where you're wanted, and then work up from there. Uh, there's people who start D one high level, and then they had five different schools in four or five years because they keep transferring, keep yeah. going different places because of the rules that's in place. Right. Instead of going somewhere, enjoy it. That's why you see teams like Princeton and some of these teams where they got four or five-year guys um, going against freshmen who keep transferring in. And you, you see these, and it's not even upsets anymore. Like if, if I see a, a Princeton or a Florida Gulf Coast going against a, a Kentucky or something in round one or two, and I look down at roster and see four or five seniors as yeah. opposed to four or five freshmen. Right. I'm going to put my money on that, that team with the four or five seniors on it. Yeah. Because you know? <laughs> yeah. that's the experience. That's the culture. That's the togetherness. Um, you can't build something um, with continuing to allow, you know, people just to come through your door. But coaches are going to do that. You know, a lot of coaches do that. I, I like Shaka and some of these other coaches that are getting these high school players and say, you know, we're not going to dab too much into that portal. We're yeah. going to just grab maybe one if we need one. Right. But we want to kind of develop, you know, some of these players. And, and Joe, um, this is, and if I may, this is why your program is appealing to us is because you understand that. And yeah. that's the kind of message you're sending to the kids. Correct. And, and me and guys like Steve Novak, we want to send our kids to places that are that are emphasizing the values that we're already putting into our right. kids. Um, and we want those reinforced when right. they go to their club experience or to their high school experience. Correct. Which is why we, you know, remain here in this community. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's so funny you say that. It's like when you want to be around people who know the game, mm-hmm. and, like in and out, it's like, okay. And it's even better when it's not coming from their dad. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to be the reinforcement for my kid. Right. Not always having to tell them, um, this is what you got to look out for. These are things you got to, like, I got to do that already. Right. And different things. Yeah. So if I can get a, a great mentor, a great coach to help the development of the youth program and my own kid, um, that's a win-win mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened with Austin and Aaron. Um, just getting to know you and Kelly and, yeah. and the family. Um you're you're just so down to earth and and, well, and approachable and and I think that's what catches a lot of people off guard. It's like uh, you're in a gym and they're like, 
man, I know him. It's either that's Coach Robinson or that's Michelle Obama's brother. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. And it's like um, people want pictures and autographs and you've always been very kind to people. Well, thank you. And I think that's what people kind of, you know, they see that part. You sit at the end of the bench or in front of the bench, you're – you're you're always grooming coaches too. You're never the guy who stands up. All yeah, the time. I I I really I feel like over in the next ten or fifteen years we're going to have an exodus of all these guys yeah. who kind of coached when we yes. were coming through. And I'm I'm getting to be one of those older guys now. If 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 I was still coaching, I'd be thinking about okay, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. And it's such a noble profession, and it's it it has done so much for me. You know, my first coach was my dad, mm-hmm. and he wasn't even a coach, but just like we coach our kids, yes. it's he was he was supportive and yep. instructive, and uh, and then each coach that I've had through club sports, through high school, through college has have all impacted my life. And I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for those coaches, I wouldn't have the passion. For this game that I do, right, which leads to me being a pretty decent player, right, which has led me now to have some opportunities that I never would have had. <laughs> and without basketball, I'm here to tell you, I was a good student, but I wasn't good enough to get into Princeton. Mm-hmm. I was good enough to get in as an athlete, though, mm-hmm. and that changed my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it changes your life going to the right college. And yeah, so talk that's, about that a little bit, Coach. Yeah, going to Princeton, your your uh, four years there. Yeah, um, how was that? That Every year you got better, your stats got better. Yeah, um, so I, I, I had, you know, I, I was a late bloomer. When I graduated from high school, I, I, I went into high school, I was like 5'10". Wow. And I grew to about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, when mm. I was a senior. So I grew another three inches to 6'7", when I was in college. So <laughs> I, I was one of those guys who wasn't going to be the best eighth grader. I wasn't right. going to be the best junior. Mm-hmm. I got to be good by the time I was a junior in college. Wow. That's and awesome. uh, I, I just played for a great coach, Pete Carrill, uh, at Princeton, who taught me the the intellectual part of the game, mm-hmm. the, the an- analysis of the game, as mm-hmm. much as he taught me how to be more skillful. And he was a believer in pl- every basketball, every player could play every position. Mm-hmm. So I inc- it increased my ball handling ability as a six seven guy back then. And that's not normal in your era. In, in my to, era, to that play wasn't every position. That wasn't normal, and it, no. it's what helped me get drafted, and it's what helped me play overseas. Was mm-hmm. the fact that I was they called me the poor man's Magic Johnson because mm-hmm. I was a six seven point guard, but that was completely developed playing for for Pete Carrill at Princeton. And he just was a he was a good motivator, mm-hmm. and he could tell when you love the game, and he would just keep feed, you to use your term. He would just keep feeding into you yes. as long as you wanted it. Yep. And I'd come back to the gym. And this was in days where people didn't do individual workouts, and I'd be in the gym shooting around. And lo and behold, he'd walk in the door and he'd <laughs> do a workout with me. Oh wow! When people never did workouts like yeah. that, and. Um, and that's what helped me. And 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 then from a from an from a non basketball point of view, I was recruited by the University of Washington back when it was the Pac eight. Now it's the Pac two, but it went up to the Pac twelve. But yep. um, <laughs> and and I I got recruited by Purdue really late, DePaul really late when they didn't get. I was in the class with Terry Cummings and Teddy Grubbs oh, and those yeah. guys. So they were recruiting those guys, and when they didn't get those. When Purdue didn't get either one of those guys, they recruited me right at the end. 
and then University of Texas Arlington. Like it mm. was it was it was different back then. It wasn't like right. one person knew you, everybody knew you. <laughs> right. You had to hope somebody saw you. Right. And Princeton saw me early on and um and and that's how I got there. But from an from from an academic and life sta- life skills standpoint, going to Princeton was the best thing that could have happened to me. I got mm-hmm. exposed to um a high level of academic rigor mm-hmm. that I didn't even have at high school. And I was in the honors program at Mount Carmel. It's just mm-hmm. completely different when you go to a school like Princeton. And what it, what it gave to me was the intellectual confidence mm-hmm. to compete. And that's a difference. And that's different. That's a big difference. When you come out of a place <laughs> yes. like that and your, your good friends are people whose families have been working yes. in different industries <laughs> at the highest level, it's like, it's like playing basketball with a bunch of NBA guys. Yep, yep, 100%. And I came out of there, and I'd go into an interview, and I'd be talking to people, and I'd feel like, I can do this job, I can do that job, I can do that job, and I probably could do your job, but I wouldn't say it. But I felt it yeah. because of the exposure and the experience that I got yep. off the court. So that was a huge turning point in my life, yeah. picking Princeton to go to. And I really, I really didn't pick it my dad helped me pick it because mm-hmm. i would have gone to the university of washington because they had the whole recruiting trip and made <laughs> I, helicopter flight and <laughs> hotel room and yeah the whole nine yards and i went to princeton and i w- i stayed with john rogers who's mm-hmm. the president of aerial capital management yep. he p- played at the lab school and he was my host he's now the largest minority money manager in the country mm. Stayed on his bed. He stayed on the floor. <laughs> that's the Princeton way of recruiting. Yeah, but wow, um, that's pretty cool. Let me tell you, my <laughs> my, my my dad uh, was the one who said he he was the one who steered me toward Princeton, and it mm-hmm. was the the best move I could have ever made. Yeah. So like the the and I try to tell my kids in different ways. Like we played Mac Irvin. And I, I shared this story a couple times on. And Mac Irvin's from Chicago. Yep. That's one of the um, great programs in the state. And and they got the EYBL tag. We played them in sixth grade, and I was just telling my kids, who are all suburban kids, like, this ball means something different than it means to you. Like, this is life and death, you know, to them. This is a recreational sport for you. This is a yeah. hobby. Yeah. This is different, you know. So, when, fast forward, we played that same team at, at our last game as a seniors um, on the same court and it was a dog fight. We end up losing in overtime by one, you know, and it was a different mentality. That ball meant something. Well, to I think, them, I think kids know. in the suburbs up here kind of take it for granted. This yeah. game saves other kids lives right. in other States and other communities where right. <clears throat> kids up here, they take it. Hey, I'm great. I'm, you know, I can play <laughs> right. basketball whenever right. for other kids in other communities. This game is, yeah. what they need to actually save them. Sometimes. Yeah, and, and going to that story is <clears throat> that that ball matters. And when you pick your school and you pick where you're trying to go, um, now it's time to use what that community, what that university is going to give you because that ball mattered that much. Now you got to use what that, um, for the rest of your career, is what they're going to give you. That Princeton University, Marquette University, mm-hmm. they gave me – all the tools that I needed once I was done with it, having yeah. a great coach and coach cream, having great teammates, um, great alumni base. Now you're kind of set for, for life for what you learned. Um, so after you were, went to Princeton, mm-hmm. um, you played in the league. Yeah. Um, I got, I got drafted, got drafted by the Sixers and then I got cut right as, um, veterans camp yep, was starting. the training camp. 
And then I went overseas and played for a couple of years in yep. England. Yep. And, uh, and so tell us about that, because I played in England for five years. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle. Okay. And I loved England. I played 11 years overseas, five years in Newcastle. Um, tell us about how that experience helped you grow, too. Yeah, that was so t- the the that was such a great experience for me because that was my first time being on my own mm-hmm. other than college. Right. And in college really is a safe haven. Right. It's not, you're not really right. on your own. You got so many resources and people looking out for you, but I was on my own, had to pay for everything mm-hmm. for the first time. But I had a tremendous experience in that. Um, I replaced the guy because I was in camp it was already October, mm-hmm. so they had started their season. So I, I replaced an American, and, and when I played there, you were only allowed two Americans yep. on the team and one dual national. So that was yep, somebody yep. who had a, Both. a two passports, yep. one from their home country and one from England. And, um, and I went over there, and fortunately the coach there knew of Princeton and the Princeton offense, so he asked me to – in, in, in install to some install of some of that stuff. So it was really a comfortable landing spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other American was Vince Brookins, who played for the really good Iowa team that went to the Final Four. He mm-hmm. and I are still friends. Um, and he was my height. So we had a pretty decent team. We had a 6'9 mm-hmm. center. Wow. He was 6'7". I was 6'7". We had another 6'5 guy and a 6'3 guy. But I, I ran the point. Mm-hmm. And it was such a a great experience for me because first and foremost, I learned how to manage a game Mm -hmm. because you have to, and Joe knows this from having Mm -hmm. played over there, you have to put up your numbers in order to keep getting invited back. Right. And so I had to view the game differently than I did as a college player where (laughs) I'm just trying to do what the coach says and win the game. (laughs) Right. So I'm trying to win the game, but I'm also – breaking the game up into the quadrants that I play. Yep. And so I figured if I averaged 20-something points and yep. double-digit rebounds, that would be better than yep. 85% of the guys over there. So <laughs> right. I broke the game down into quadrants. So I was out there trying to get as many points as I could in each quadrant so that when the game came down to the end, I could just play and not worry about it. So mm-hmm. that was one thing that gave me a different way of looking at basketball. And then the other thing was living in a different culture <laughs> right. was really neat. And Newcastle wasn't even yes. a Division One team when I no, played no, there. No, not then. Um, so it, we, I played for the Manchester Giants, yep. and, which is still there, <laughs> still as a there. matter of fact. It was yep. owned by a Lebanese businessman, and, um, and Manchester was a great city. It reminded mm-hmm. me a little bit of – it was like a combination of Gary, Indiana, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So it was like a real industrial area, <laughs> yeah, yeah. blue-collar folks, had a yeah. suburb. Um, and and it, was, it was just wonderful traveling throughout Europe and being able to go to different places mm-hmm. so easily. Just It was, it was kind of like living on the East Coast. You know, mm-hmm. you live on the East Coast, you can get to New York, Boston. Yep. Um, you get down to, you know, North Carolina, you get yep. down to Florida Easy. real easily. Oh, oh, once you hit Europe, you can get around. It's real easy to get around, and yeah. and 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 people. It, it it the the last thing I'll say about this is, it gave me a view of what other people thought about Americans, mm-hmm. and yeah. I learned that we yeah. weren't the end all be all that we yeah. thought we were. Correct, correct. People always assume that the the negative stuff about mm-hmm. you as an American because. 
I even saw it when I was over there. That when people come over and they're tourists, they come over looking for the McDonald's and the Burger King <laughs> right. and not wanting to try out <laughs> yeah. new stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, this is the view of Americans you have. No wonder you yep. think yep. how yep. you do. Yep. So I spent a lot of time with people and going to dinner and yes. learning their culture and helping them understand that. You know, tourists are different from people who you're not, never going to meet, who are never going to get a chance to come right. over here. So, right. <laughs> uh, so it was a it was just a wonderful experience, and again, it helped my development because when you you come back from an experience like that and you sit down with interviewers, and you've got a Princeton background, a basketball background, professional player background, and then you've lived in another country for two or three years. Yes. You set yourself apart from all the other yeah. people who are doing the interviews, yeah. and it really gives you a leg up when yeah. you talk to folks. And it also gives you a leg up from where you grew up at. Oh, like, man. Like oh, yes. You go back. Sometimes when I, I went back home, and you talk to the same person who was living in the same spots for 20 years, it's like that growth of what you've been through for the last 10 years. You're, you're such at another yeah. level um, in, oh, intellectually. So uh, living, you know, mm-hmm. you're thinking different, um, and 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 I think when Muhammad Ali said, if if you're the same person at um, 40, if you and if you was at 18, then you lost, you know, 20 years of your life not right. doing anything, and you you see that, you know, um, especially where we're from is, you know, people don't go past their neighborhood, you know, where they live, they stay mm-hmm. in their environment. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been taught. It's to stay where you're from. You and know? it's it's safe, right? It's, safe. it's it's a safe thing. And now yeah. with COVID, everybody is afraid yes. to try stuff. But <laughs> Joe Joe hit it right on the head. I mean, you know, I'm teaching my kid and I'm sure Joe, you teaching your boys, try stuff. Yeah. Try mm-hmm. stuff. Go to school. Try try taking Mandarin or try taking yep. Spanish or try try all these different things. Yes. Because uh, there is way more out there than sort of <laughs> right. Mequon, Wisconsin, <laughs> right. you know, or Port Washington. Yeah. It, or, it yeah. is. I, I, my first time going on a flight overseas, I was going to Bogota, Colombia. was my first job. And back then, they didn't have a translator on the flight. They just, as soon as you take off, it's all Spanish. And it's all Spanish people, you know, around me. And like Coach was saying, we're so naive to other people's um, countries, and people are naive to us mm-hmm. um, as well. And I'm sitting next to someone um, that didn't speak no English. But what I learned from Marquette, taking different things and mm-hmm. picking up keywords and body <coughs> language and what they were trying to verbalize, I needed to know what uh, immigration I needed to go to uh, when I when, the, when when we landed. Um, I didn't know who how my, how my driver would look. I didn't know how Colombian people looked. Yeah. So I get a picture of a Colombian. I'm thinking, you know, he's like, look like you, Terry, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I get down there, they're darker than me. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, oh, that's just a culture thing that we have a perception of what people look like. And sure. we dive into that. And, and that was the cool part because you get 20, 22 hours by yourself. You mm-hmm. only got practice two hours, maybe right. four if you got two yeah. days. What are you doing with all this time, you know, to invest? So that that goes back into what did you do after you played? You got into Northwestern right away? No, um, no, coaching? I went to I, I didn't get into coaching until 14 years after I worked oh, in wow. corporate America. So wow. when I came back, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do 
before I got the ability to play basketball, I had mm-hmm. a summer internship with Procter and Gamble, and yep. I was like, okay, this is gonna. They're gonna offer me a job when I graduate. I got. I'm all set. And then, I, I, lo and behold, I get drafted, mm-hmm. and then my whole life changes, right? And it's focus on basketball. So I was thinking maybe I'll go back to 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 Procter and Gamble, but then my dear friend John Rogers, mm-hmm. who had was the host on my visit, was now an investment manager, and he told me about the investment banking uh, arena, and that's how I got involved with. And did you know anything about investment banking beforehand? Oh, I had only heard about mm-hmm. about it that you can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That was it, <laughs> and I didn't know anything about it. And uh, so I got a job um, working at a bank and uh, applied to business school at the same time. Because if you wanted to be really good in that uh, business, you had to get your MBA. So I applied and got into the University of Chicago. I went part time and I worked at Dean Witter Reynolds, which was a stock brokerage firm uh, uh, slash investment bank. That was my first job after playing, and it was all cold calling and trying to get people to sign up and mm-hmm. and 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 let you do their investments. And I did that for two years, and I realized, okay, in order to get where I wanted to get, I had to get this MBA. So I yeah. finished up my MBA, and that's when I started working at Morgan Stanley as a bond trader. And <laughs> I was a bond trader for f- almost 14 years. Wow. And then I had the opportunity, and, and I shouldn't say, I, I shouldn't leave this part out. While I was a trader, I was, that was when I first started coaching youth basketball. Mm. So I was coaching my two older kids. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on the side in little leagues they were playing in. <laughs> and I got a job at the University of Chicago Lab School, which is called U High. Mm-hmm as their varsity boys basketball coach. Wow. <laughs> and and so I was so my my plan was now now I'm getting to be a planner cuz I'm getting a little older. I was like, well, if I can make this kind of money for the next 15 years, mm-hmm. I could retire at the age of like 45ish and then I could teach 7th grade and coach yeah. Well, I, I was I, do what you want is right, but I had in my mind I'm going to teach 7th grade yep. and coach high school basketball. Because I like that age at seventh grade because kids still listen to you. (laughs) And then I coach high school because I had done that. Right. I wasn't thinking about being a college coach. Yeah. I was I was just thinking about, all right, I need enough money to to afford to my kids to go to an Ivy League school if they were smart enough to get into. Mm -hmm. If I could save that up, pay for my house, Mm -hmm. then I'd be set. I could take any job. It wouldn't matter what what it paid. You know, I just need the benefits. And while I'm I'm tr- I'm working for a trading company in Chicago, Bill Carmody gets the job at Northwestern, mm-hmm. and Bill Carmody was the assistant coach at Princeton my senior year. Mm-hmm. So we had a relationship, <laughs> and then he became the head coach when Coach Carrill retired at Princeton. And he would come to Chicago to recruit Chicago kids because Chicago's always had a good pipeline oh, yeah. to Princeton, mm-hmm. and. He would say, "Hey, Craig, take me to the places. Who are the good players?" So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm I was like Joe. Yeah. I knew all the players. Yeah. I either played with them or their dads, mm-hmm. or I played for the coach. I knew the coaches, or I played against them. Right. So 
I was a good resource for him. So I, we would go to the gyms, and I'd be like, okay, that kid's got good enough grades. Mm-hmm. This kid's grades aren't good enough, but he's a really good ball player. So if he could get a good score on the SATs or ACTs, right. we could get him in. So mm-hmm. he knew that I was sort of – had the ability to do some recruiting. So he gets the job at Northwestern, and I call him up to congratulate him. And he says, um, so I call him up to congratulate him. He's busy. He doesn't call me back. He calls me back. I'm on the trading desk. And and I was like, oh, yeah, coach, I just wanted to congratulate you. And he said, well, look, I'm not calling about that. I'm calling (laughs) to see if you'd be interested in being one of my assistants. And I said, I'm I'm on the trading floor. Let me call you back. So I yeah. hang up the phone. I go downstairs. I jump in a taxi, and I and I say to the taxi guy, "Just drive around. I got to make a phone call." Mm-hmm. And I call him back, and he offers me the assistant coaching uh-huh. job at Northwestern <laughs> Division One Big Ten. Right. So that's that's the thing. Like you know, our our topic is basketball. You know, life after basketball. Right. And look what Princeton. You know, and you talk about your coach and the nuances that you learned there and the integral parts of the game. And and like you said, you know, the, the life skills you learned, you could have took it any job you wanted right. because of those four years of what you learned. Yeah. Um, and every stop from there prepared you for any job, investment, banking, <laughs> um, <coughs> trading docs, all of this stuff. And you didn't know any of that coming from Mount Carmel, from the South Side. Nope. And that ball put in your hand and what you learned from there, yeah. you know, that's taking you pretty, it's, pretty it, far. It, it's changed my life. So basketball helped change my life because without mm-hmm. basketball, I don't get to Princeton. Right. You know, and, uh, and, and, and without basketball, I don't get into coaching. Mm-hmm. Nobody would give me a coaching job at a college. And, and it was funny. I went into my partners at the firm that I was working at, Loop Capital Markets in Chicago, and I told – the founder of the firm, and, and and this was a new firm. I was like employee number thirteen or fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. So I was it was I was running all of the uh, taxable fixed income. So I had a big job, mm-hmm. and he and I said, Jim, I'm gonna resign. And he's like, What are you gonna do? I was like, I'm gonna go coach basketball. And he looked at me <laughs> like I had two heads, <laughs> and he was like, Wait. You're going to be an assistant coach? You're not even going to be the head coach? And I said, yeah, I'm going to be assistant coach. And he paused for a minute, and he said, hey, Craig, how much them jobs pay? (laughs) And I said, nowhere near as much as I make here. And he said, are you sure? And everybody thought I was going through a nervous breakdown because I was Mm -hmm. going through a divorce at the Mm -hmm. time, and I Mm -hmm. had two young kids, and Mm -hmm. I I, I had to be around them. I had custody of them, Mm -hmm. so... He said, I'm keeping your seat open because just in case (laughs) you you're not going to be able to live off of what they're going to be paying you. But it was one of those things where um, the love of the game made me have the confidence that I could do it. Also, to your point, having the intellectual confidence. Yep that I got from a place like Princeton and Mount Carmel too, but mostly Princeton, I knew if it didn't work out, I could get a job somewhere. Right. Right. And that's the beauty of going to the right college. It gives you options when you're off the court. So I ended up taking the job and then, you know, 14 years later, I'm, I'm like, (laughs) I'm, you know, end up being head coach at Oregon state in the PAC 12 and, and, and 
you know, parlay that into two years of working for ESPN as an analyst mm-hmm. and then into the NBA. I mean, you know, it just opened up a whole new world for me. Unbelievable. Love to get your perspective as a head coach of sure. a, a pretty high-profile job, right? Yep. We have a lot of kids that have a lot of offers in Joe's program and stuff. Talk about, as a coach, what you're looking for in these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you're looking for as a coach. Yeah, Terry, there, there's so many things you're looking for. And what, what, I, what I try and explain to families now is, at the baseline, you got to be able to be good enough to play. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. So we, <laughs> we assume everybody's good enough to play, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not good enough to play especially in this day and age where you can get transfers, you're moving on to the next one. So you have to have a certain level of ability to be able to be at a, at the high major level or either division one level. But then the second thing is how is this person going to fit in the culture of what we're trying to build there? And that is, bigger than the playing yes. because when you <laughs> when you hold the abilities equal it's hard to find the mm-hmm. right person who's going to fit into your culture the proper way mm-hmm. so and and when i say culture it means how you feel about being on time mm-hmm. how hard you work <laughs> wh- what you h- how you prioritize your a- a- academics mm-hmm. how you prioritize your leisure time that is the biggest thing what is this guy going to do with the other the other time t- twenty <laughs> hours that he's not spending with us, right. or the this young girl who wh- which what kind of person is she going to be? What kind of student is she going to be? What kind of community university community person are you going to be? Because typically the 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 recruits from the basketball and the football teams are the biggest ambassadors for the athletic department and the university as a whole. So you are looking for people who aren't going to embarrass you in the airport right, or (laughs) on the bus or in the restaurants or in the hotels who say please and thank you and Mm -hmm. know how to put their phones down and talk to people. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff comes into play when, when guys like me or guys and girls like me are recruiting young student athletes and when you're recruiting um this might seem like a dumb question but okay when you're building a team are you looking at okay like the nfl i need a running back i need a guard are you looking at i need a point guard i need a forward or are you taking the best player available so so first of all that's not a dumb question it is a pertinent question and you you have to understand it depends on the where the level you are Mm. now if you're kentucky or duke you're usually able to look for the best player who fits the position you need. Yep. If you're Oregon State, like me, like I was, you're looking for the best player you can get. Yep. And then you fit your team around that, that are you, player. Are you looking like, okay, this guy's you know 6'2". He may be a, a center in high school, but he may fit better as a forward here in my program. Mm-hmm. And- it, 6'2 guys would would have to be... A guard, so he better if he's playing yeah. center, he better be able to bring, he better be able to play yeah. guard at my level. Yeah, right now, it, when I was at Brown, I, that's a lower level. So then you're looking at a six-two guy. If he can be a swing yep. one-two or two-three, then he's more appealing. Yep. So it really depends on where you are. Yeah. Um. And and Joe talked about this a little bit earlier and I can't remember if you if this was before we got on or mm-hmm. not but you talked about fit yes. sending kids to the place that it fits them yeah and that's why it's important 
for these kids to go visit, yep. to talk to the coach, to call up the coach, mm-hmm. find a place that wants you mm-hmm. yeah. for the player you can be and where yeah. they see you going. Your trajectory. Yeah, that'll change yeah. everything. Because if you try and go to a place that just you, – you're going for the name. Yep. You're going we, for we, the visit. Yeah. Yep. You, you know, the, the amenities. Yep. That <laughs> yep. usually doesn't work. And oh. now people are, are taking those risks now because now it, there's no consequence. Uh, consequence in transferring. Right. If you transfer, you can play right away. <laughs> Before, you had to sit out a year. Now you can play right away. So people right. are making more mistakes because yes. they're reaching for yes. things that aren't um, as <clears throat> personally important right. to their development. Yep. Yeah, we talked about it like because, uh, you know, CBAs, girls and boys, mm-hmm. we say that the boys always look at the game before the school, and the girls tend to look at the school before the game. I, I, I absolutely believe that. Now, I've got three sons, one daughter. Now, my daughter played at a high level. She mm-hmm. played at Princeton, got drafted into the WNBA, and mm-hmm. played overseas. Yep. Very similar to my my uh, trajectory. She was always going to pick the best academic school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just girls are more mature. Yeah, that's what they are. They're more mature. Yes. And the fact that there's there's not as viable of a professional track for them on right. the basketball side. Right. It's the smart play. Yes. It's the smart, it's play. The smart play. And girls are smart at that age and boys are still boys, yeah. right? Yep. Boys will go for the uniform sometimes. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> when I was recruiting guys and they, you know, before NIL and all this stuff with the money, I, I understand guys going where the money was, right? Yep. Legally or illegally. I understand that. But don't go for the uniforms. Right. You know, don't go for the sneakers because the 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 schools that had the Nike and Adidas yep. contracts, yep. that was part of their upbringing. It was. You know, coming through it, oh, the yeah. AAU. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, coming through the AAU scene, your your sneaker deal was as important as anything. Yep, because yep. that was our NIL, really. Uh, it's like, oh, I want to go to a Nike school because yeah. I know I'm going to get Nikes. Or um, some teams was Nike Elite. Like, mm-hmm. well, I, I got to get to the Nike Elite. You know, um, some programs was Adidas. Like, well, Adidas hurt my feet. So, yeah. like, when you're you're thinking of little stuff as a guy, like, the girls are thinking, oh, what, what school fits better for me? What degree that I'm going to use? Um, what alumni base is going to help me while I'm there? And most, and if if you do the research on it, most girls are set up right after college. They know exactly what they want to do. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. Uh, guys are still trying to figure it out. It's like, oh, I don't know what's next. You know, uh, girls are they into the profession they want to be in? Um, one or two years right after. Yeah, done. Yeah, guys, it takes. That's takes right. A little longer. That's right. That's uh, right. So you brought up the NIL, and yep. there's a couple things I think. Uh, kids need to know okay with the nil and the one and done what is that doing to the college game um people are saying the college game's hurting and that's hurting the nba game uh, so what, what's your talk on that so my my opinion on all of that is i want people to know that the coaches who are in my organization which are all ncaa division one head and assistant coaches there's some nia coaches uh, NCAA Division II, Division Three coaches, high school coaches, junior college coaches. So we run the gamut. So we represent 5,000 coaches uh, nationwide and internationally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm here to tell you, I can't find too many of them who don't think that the 
the student athletes should get some money mm-hmm. for what they generate. Mm-hmm. All coaches, in my opinion, are for NIL in some way, shape, or form. Yep. What's happened is, and and Joe and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. The the culmination of NIL, the new transfer <laughs> rules, COVID mm-hmm. have made this into a tougher road yeah. for student athletes, for coaches, coaches. for schools, yep. for administrators, e- for the whole ecosystem yep. of college sports. Yep. And and I say this for for a couple of reasons, and one of them I mentioned is that now. Fewer student athletes are getting recruited. Fewer prospective student athletes, high school students, are getting recruited because it's easier to recruit transfers. And as a college coach, I'd recruit a transfer before I would recruit a high school kid if my job was dependent upon. Correct, correct. I would do that. The second thing is the NIL doesn't have enough regulations where it's ending up now to be pay for play. So they're paying kids to come play for their team and they're negotiating minutes and they're negotiating positions and all this kind of stuff, which is bad for, I think it's bad for the student athlete Mm -hmm. because they don't, they're not fully developed yet. They don't know what their position is going to be. And if they pick the wrong spot, that's going to hinder their development. So they're going to look to transfer, and then right. that's going to slow their development because they got to figure out somewhere else to go. And if that doesn't work, they're going to transfer again. Right. And then we don't even have the numbers on how that's affecting the <laughs> graduation rates and the, the, the progress toward gra- graduating. That was a big thing when we played. We, we looked at the four- or five-year, like our coaches who was our coaches at Marquette, they looked at the 95% has graduated yeah. in four years. Right. You know, that number has to look so totally different now with the rules where you can just keep bouncing around. Yeah. What's your graduating rate? And we have this. So the NCAA hasn't had enough time yet to post that. But when they do, that'll tell us a lot. Yeah. Because maybe the data will show it's the same as it was before. But what, what I always liked about intercollegiate athletics was that Everybody who played sports always had a higher graduation right. rate than the, the rest of students. the students. Right. And people didn't – that's not intuitive. You wouldn't think right. that intuitively because I know I didn't until right. I started coaching. And I was like, what? Right. But, but to your point, now that I can look back on it 20 years later, it, there's a reason why. Yeah. You're, you're disciplined. You're right. structured. You're in a box. You're, yeah. you're not really a student. And so you're really just – in a box yeah. of I got to go A to B to C to D. It's hard to mess it up. <laughs> it's hard to That's mess what it up. I, that, it's hard to mess it up. So, so I like NIL, and I understand why the student-athletes should have freedom of movement, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the collegiate game. We have to figure out how to make it so that it is still manageable mm-hmm. so that we don't unintentionally – hurt the student athletes development both on the court and off the court should there be a prerequisite on college years playing so i do think that having a 27 year old who's still playing college basketball playing (laughs) against an 18 year old is a is a competitive disadvantage Mm -hmm. so you know I'm still thinking about all of this, but I do think that there should be an upper limit to the age range or how many years you could play, right? So should you get five years? 
Mm-hmm. Right. And you can do those five years any way you can, whether you're an undergrad or a grad, but you get five years. Mm-hmm. And then after your fifth year, you got to go play professionally or you have to stop playing. Yeah. That's something like that has to be but in what, place. What is also the. Um, do you think there should be a minimum? Yeah. That's what I was about to get at. So um, I, I, I think there you should have a high school degree. Yep. But if you are a special case. So let's say you're smart enough to graduate high school early and you're good enough to compete in in yes at the collegiate level you should be able to. Correct. There's been a couple cases where I've seen kids who who are seniors that stopped after the basketball season was over. Um or before their season and didn't do their senior year because they got the grades or graduated early and they took a spot for for college. Um, there is some cases it, like it, that. And, and it mostly happens with football because mm-hmm. football is one semester. See, ba- college yes. basketball is a two-semester sport, so it's it's yep. hard to – and high school basketball is too. So yep. it's hard to leave your basketball team in the middle of the season when you got Correct. games going on. It's, <laughs> right. it's just – it's just a hard thing to do, right? But if you're if if that's what you choose to do, you should be able to do it. I I'm, I'm not trying to restrict. I'm just trying to do what's smart. And but what I don't like is, and I, I gotta say, Wisconsin is one of the bigger places for reclassification. Oh, yeah. I've never seen so much because I grew up in Chicago. Now there's many more people. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 they didn't reclassify. That was a frowned upon. It was uh, frowned upon if you did that. And like you were, you were considered. Oh man, he flunked a class, a grade. And they, the rule was you couldn't be eight, you couldn't be nineteen, 19. and still play in high school. And I right. think that's the rule. That's still here too. Yeah. So I don't understand the reclassifying yeah. your back a year, right? Because everybody always catches up. It don't matter. And it, as a college coach, I want to see you playing with the. The kids your age or better, not the kids behind you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I totally but, agree. But, but I, I, uh, the, the to get, but to get back to the, I think there uh, age plays a role on the upper end in college. On the lower end, if you're good enough to play, you can play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there should be, and I don't know what that age limit should be. Should it be yeah. 25? Should it mm-hmm. be 24? Should it be 27? I don't mm-hmm. know. But I know. You have a severe competitive advantage if you have a team full of twenty-four-year-olds, and you're, yeah. and it, and it's it happening, happens. and you see it today <laughs> yes. because, and and this is interesting because I always laugh, and one of my board members of the NABC is is John Calipari, who's mm-hmm. the coach of Kentucky, good friend of mine, mm-hmm. and John Shire is also, mm-hmm. a, I recruited John Shire to go to Northwestern, and he ended up blowing up and going to Duke. <laughs> Nobody knew about him until he blew up, and then he ended up going to Duke. So I know John Shire for many years. Both of their teams aren't doing as well because they've got high-end high school recruits. Yes, yes. But they're still ranked in the top yep, 25. Yep, yep. They're good teams. Correct. But they have trouble against teams that are veterans. Correct. Because yep. it'd be like if Joe and I, well, not me at this age, but if Joe in his prime and me in my prime were playing against a, a some pros <laughs> right. who were 18 years oh. old or 19, we would beat them. Yes, yes. Without we would a, beat them. You, you can ask Jawan Howard because when Jawan Howard was playing against my men's league team years ago, we mm-hmm. beat the brakes off of those guys because they just mm-hmm. didn't know how to play. And yes. we, were, yeah. we were like professional guys. Yep. 
And that still happened now. You know, I just got done playing earlier today. And, you know, me and Travis and Robert Jackson, who's 45, 46. Travis will be 42. I'm 40. And our teammates are 40. And we're going against guys who are in between jobs, European jobs. They're home. We beat the brakes off of them. They can't all, all beat the you. They can't, <laughs> they beat, can't beat you. <laughs> and, and they like, can't beat you. And we beat them with ball movement, player movement, you know, up screens, away screens. We're doing, we don't care. It's about winning as opposed to, you know, uh, scoring. You know, so, yeah. And, and that brings me to my question about NBA. Yeah. Because some of these players, they're, they're 18, 19. I'm, right. I'm hearing Coach Pop and some of these guys are saying, we got to start. We're developing players now mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of them coming in and being a little bit more ready than usual. We're spending so much more time. Yeah. Because they go into Kentucky or Duke and they're 18, 19, and then they come in right right and, to us. And that's their fault because yes. the NBA chose to come get yeah. the young And that guys. was one of my 100%. questions, too. Yeah. Like, do you think they should, the NBA should have a, you know. Yep. Listen, so it, it's so hard to, to make the comparison because the NBA is sort of for profit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the NCAA is not for profit. So you got this business entity over here trying to optimize everything. So they're going to figure out what is best for them. They thought getting the young talent yes. was best mm-hmm. for them it's until not. they had to spend all this money to develop them mm-hmm. and hire guys like me to help yep. with the transition from yep, yep. pro from high from from college and sometimes high school to the pro ranks. And how are these kids like with the NIL? You know, you're 18 and you're getting all this money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and it, then and then you're going up with all this money to you know what I mean? Yeah, I, it, it it it's so hard from from the, the the what I think is the NBA should let the colleges develop the guys. Yes, for them. <laughs> yes. Just let the colleges do it. It's yep. they're doing it for free. <laughs> right. Well, and they're getting an education. Right. They're, they're getting an education, but they're maturing. Yes. But see, it's so competitive to yep. win. Everybody's yep. trying yep. to be right at the margin. So should I take this guy yep. who went over to Europe instead of going through the college ranks? So the NBA's got a. They they got to think about how they are pro, how, how they're developing yeah. their talent. I I see it the way I said it earlier is that the way you develop is playing, mm-hmm. and in college you get a free year of just playing <laughs> good competition, right. and you're getting good coaching. Right, right. Not to say that you go to Europe you don't get good coaching, or you right. go international, or you go to the G League you don't get good coaching. It, it's the coaches are invested in developing you because as a college coach, I lose my job if I don't develop you. Mm-hmm. Right. In the pros, you're, you're focused on winning games. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. So if I'm a coach in the NBA, I'm going to play the s- seven or eight guys that are going to help me win the game. 100%. The other five guys, the six, there's 13 on a roster now, plus two two-way guys. I can't develop those guys unless they're playing because in the NBA you play so many games. Yes. You don't have time practice for practice. Time. Right. So you don't get better at practice like you can when in you're college. in college. Correct. Yep. So I think that if and and my kids are not going to be pros. You know, you know who are pros these days are if Joe's kids have a chance to be pros because his wife was an athlete, mm-hmm. and he was an athlete. Mm-hmm. My wife was a Division three softball player, so mm-hmm. my kids might have a chance. Mm-hmm. But the pros are the folks who are the NBA guys who marry the WNBA women and mm-hmm. have a child or a, <laughs> a, a world-class volleyball player right, or a right. world-class uh, 
soccer player who are tall, mm-hmm. right? Because when I was in college, I was like, I wonder where all these NBA players are that everybody's <laughs> talking about. Well, then when I got to the NBA, I was like, oh, they're, here they are. They're in the NBA. It's so different, Terry. Yeah. The, the genetic aspect of it is <laughs> so different. It is not. It, you, we, you almost don't have a chance yep. unless your kid is genetically yep. gifted. Yeah, that gives them through the door. That gets them in yep. there, and yep. then you have to be the hardest working, most yep. diligent one yep. percent maniac to be in the NBA <laughs> to yep. make up for the lack of genetics. Yeah. Yes, you gotta, you gotta yes. Get, no, no. Even if you got the genetics, because yeah. it's, it's 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 only so yeah. many yeah. spots. <laughs> right. It's only right. so many spots. <laughs> right. And 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 what people don't know, and Joe Joe knows this. You look at the NBA, you look at – don't look at the 15 on the <laughs> roster. Look at the eight who yep. play. Yep. And that eight times the 30 team, it's only yep. 240 regular NBA players. Everybody 100%. else is interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Correct. Everybody else can, is, is coming in for a couple of years and leaving for a couple of years and yep. trying to hang on. The rest of those dudes are making it. So you're mm-hmm. talking about 240 <laughs> slots. <laughs> Get your education, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right, right, right. Get your education. Now you uh, want to dive a little bit into. You did all of this, and mm-hmm. I played with Damon Huffman, who yep. you, who you coached right. um, at Brown, and and talk about the success of some of your former players um, and how that kind of um, because I see it now as a coach, and I, I look at the Tim Franks of the world and some of these guys, and you're like. That's my DNA, yeah. you know, and yeah. you're like, um, so talk about some of the players that came through and, and that's doing well. And it's, and it's a really neat feeling, Joe. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it is almost as, as if they were your own children, yes. not quite. Cause your own children are a little different and yep. you don't like, I'm when Joe knows this, when I coach my own kids, I'm the assistant coach and yep. I'm just really trying yep. to yep. help the head coach <laughs> develop and, yep. and, and, you know, now, my eighth grader, he's going to be on his own from now on. His yep. AAU and his high school coaches, they, he, that, that he, I'm not going to be on the bench. I'm going to mm-hmm. get to be the parent. the parent. But hearing from my former players um, and seeing them, their success gives me su- just gives me a warm feel. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking mm-hmm. about it. And you mentioned Damon Huffman, and I've got <laughs> Joe Burton, who's playing Joe overseas. Burton. And then I had... Jared Cunningham, who played yes. in the NBA, and Eric Moreland played in the NBA, and then Roberto Nelson, who was one of my highest recruits, is now coaching at Oregon State. I mean, it's just <laughs> and to get calls from those guys with questions on, all right, what should I do now? I'm trying; they're trying to navigate their careers, but more importantly and, and more more uh, amusing is when they call me up and they say, oh, I know what you meant when you were getting on me about this. <laughs> right. Especially the ones who are in basketball and coaching. Right. And it's just like, you know, it's it's like guys don't figure it out until they're in their 30s. Yes. That's yes. just how we are wired. You know, we just develop later. And it's such a nice feeling. And um, Coach Carrill said this to me when I was graduating, right? I had finally figured out all the stuff, and I was, you know, two-time Ivy League player of the year, so the game was coming easy to me. And the season was over after my senior year, and I went up into his office, and I was so used to going to his office and watching film, and there was nothing to do. And I was sitting there. He was sitting there. Coach Carmody was sitting there. All the assistants were sitting there, and I'm leaning back, and (laughs) just nobody saying anything. And Coach Krill said, finally broke the silence and said, you know, just when you figure it out, 
the shit's over. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't even know. But, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Jones he had like, a couple yeah. of oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's part of it. <laughs> he was like, and he said it. It was just like he knew he put into words because he was he dealt with it every year yeah. what I was feeling at the time and I yeah. couldn't I couldn't articulate it <laughs> and I just love when my players realize man this is this is over it's yeah. like we had such a wonderful experience yeah. what do you do when you have because I'm dealing with it now with my 24 class okay and, and it makes it hard for me when you have a special group yeah. that you gotta let go. Now, yeah. And we all have groups, but when you get your hands on a special oh, class, man. you're like, damn. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like you're every day. So Kelly and the kids and I went to Homestead's mm-hmm. senior night. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. I was there for that game. Yep. You were you there for that yep. game? Yep. And yep. and it, and they almost lost. Yep. 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 And I told Sean afterwards mm-hmm. because I I mean, we know these kids because we've just been following them. Yeah. And it's just it made me get choked up and reminded yeah. <laughs> me it, it's nothing you can do. You yeah. just what you what I would say is you 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 got to have all your celebrations after the game because if you do it before the game, the emotions yeah. <laughs> take it out of the players, and you could see it. Yes, because Sean yep. started a couple yep. seniors yep. and he yep. and he and, he, and, he, and and then he tried to get the game back into control, <laughs> and it was healing out of control because everybody is in like, their feelings, in their know? feelings, and yep. they're trying to win, especially for the seniors, and yep. it's just it's so hard. But just just enjoy it. You yeah. know, my the, the one class I had where we were like in tears on senior <laughs> night, we just tried to enjoy it yeah. and um and and send them on because it's not gonna be the end. Right. It's not gonna be the end. Right. You'll see they're gonna always reach back because it's such a yes. it's, it's it's such a special Correct. time for them yep. that they're never going to forget it right. and they're never going to forget you and you're going right. to have your proud moment because you know tim is that one percent that's just he's different well and, and, when, and when he, he scores his points in college you're yeah, going to be oh like yeah, oh yeah that's my boy i had a part of that and you're going to be proud and a tear yeah. might drop in your yeah, eye yeah. too you know but this what they do for the other kids yeah like i saw austin last oh, week yeah in there with tim it's yeah like now it's the next group that they're grooming Mm -hmm. you know your legacy is how you leave it and how someone else is inspired by what you do yeah and if i could jump in here see this is a part of joe's culture with the chapman basketball oh yeah uh club so from the time i can remember my kids have known the older kids in your program yep and they are welcoming. It's mm-hmm. not like they're like, all right, little kid, get out of the way. <laughs> right. They they put up with them. Yep. Oh, and yeah. they're slapping them fives. <laughs> and when they're playing their high school games, they come over and yep. say hello. And, you know, it's really interesting because Austin will have a couple of successes. He's a decent player, but he's not by far the best player in eighth grade. But he's a decent player. Yep. And Tim always shouts him out mm-hmm. because he says, I see that kid in the gym all the time. Yep. Now, this is Tim Franks, who is, you know, in line for Mr. Bat, one, yep. one of the finalists for Mr. Basketball. Yep. That keeps Austin in the gym. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same, same with my son. My son went into Homestead at that game. You know, he, Mike, yep. Yep. freshman, knows him. Yep. Um, Trevor used to be with you. Yep. Yep. Hey, yeah. base, you know, and then we go to the Grafton game and. Yep. You know, Caleb is hey, man, you yeah. know, yeah. and it's just awesome. And we should give Sean Kreider some credit too, because yep. and and Corey, yep. Sean and Corey do a great job yep. of of 
of welcoming in that welcoming the yes. kids who come out of your program correct, correct. and then the value system is very yes. much the same correct now Corey coaches in your yeah she coached for us for six years yeah um, and she, uh, coach Kreider coached for us for four or five years yeah too. Um, yeah so and, and that's I, not normal either that's you know? not normal where where you've got an AAU yes. program that <laughs> yeah, that right. works well with the high school program because right. usually what I see I, I see them from a recruiting standpoint the high school coach and the AAU coach aren't working together. <laughs> right, right. Well, look at their programs, too. I mean, they're the best. One yeah, of the, right. I mean, the girls' side, the yep. boys' side, you know, yep. you see the the correlation, how well it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So exciting stuff. And, and so, you know, you're going to – that that's never going to stop. It's right. not going to be as intense because they're not playing for you anymore, but you're right. going to have the connection. Yeah, and I think that's the cool part. Uh, and lastly, just watching you um, in youth – you know, with, with the kids, it's just very inspiring because I don't know, you know, most people and most kids don't know your background, you right, know? And right. so when you walk through the door, you're Austin and Aaron's dad. Yeah. Um, they don't know your professional or, you know, um, head coach career. Right. They know you as a parent, Yeah. you know, and that's pretty cool because you carry yourself as a parent, not as a coach, you yeah. know, who coached on that type of level well, and, I and try. played on that level. I try. I try. I appreciate um, you. I appreciate you noticing. I, you know, the way I look at it is there were so many coaches who poured themselves into me mm-hmm. and parents, and mm-hmm. it was a whole community. And we lose that yeah. in this day and age with social media and just the competitiveness of yeah. people trying to get their kid into a certain level. And I just try to uplift as many people kids Mm -hmm. especially as Mm -hmm. i can because i was that kid and my kids are that kid and and my mom said something to me that i've carried with me as a parent and as an adult she said you want to raise your kids to be really nice kids because people will give them more love Mm. when they're nice kids than if they're jerks Mm -hmm. and i was like i never thought about that and So as a parent, I'm trying to teach Avery, Leslie, Austin, Aaron how to behave so that they can get that extra love. And then as an adult, I'm trying to give out more, not just to my kids, but to the kids that I'm coaching and the kids that I see at these tournaments. Just slapping five, good job. And every now and then I'll get on the refs. Oh, yeah. Every now and then. (laughs) But even there... I, I'm trying to. to I'm trying to encourage all these young folks because we're talking about life after yes. basketball. We talked about this. There's going to be a need for referees, yes. yep. Yep. and <laughs> let me tell you, for the folks listening to this, referees at the college level get paid a whole lot of money for part-time work. Mm-hmm. So they mostly have a job, mm-hmm. and they're making an extra one fifty to two fifty mm-hmm. on the side gig that is fun mm-hmm. in right. my opinion <laughs> so every time i see a young guy officiating i'm trying to keep convince him stick with it yes. just stick with it go to these camps yes. still play basketball still keep your dream but when it finally is over think about officiating if you like this game that much yeah i agree we did a referee podcast like two weeks ago and that was one of his advice that he gave a lot of yeah. young players and i've seen a lot of young kids that's getting into refereeing now um so yeah that's the cool part and 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 we want to wrap this up just saying thank you for coming doing yeah, this i think this it. is a great podcast basketball 
you know, life after basketball is it's a hard transition for right. 90 percent of people. It is. Um, <clears throat> and we've been fortunate enough that we use the tools that we learned from our high school, college and everywhere in between mm-hmm. to help us continue to grow. And the doors that's been open um, for us. But also it can open for so many people if you're saying please and thank you, if right. you're being the right person, yep. if you're learning the values that you learned from your college or your high school if you don't play in college. If you learn those valuable lessons, doors will open just by the nuances of what you learned and what people poured into you. Um, that's what you're going to need in life after basketball. But with, exactly. that, but with that, too, it's the athlete and the parents to find that program, to find a Joe Chapman as your director – find a Craig Robinson as your coach, you got to have those type of people because there are programs out there that are not like Joe Chapman. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're we right. Talk about it we talk about it all the time. <laughs> and, and, you know, parents gravitate to the shiny new object. Yeah. And, yeah. and if I could, if I could give any advice is, you know, just be careful. And, and to your point, Terry, do your homework. Cause if you do your homework, you'll find the Joe Chapman's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. This is great. Great stuff. Thanks a lot, and Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening to the CBA podcast. Have a good day.